You're listening to Pivot Points with Kristen Quinn on the Stream Grace Network. Hey, welcome back to Pivot Points. I'm your host, Kristen Quillen, where I just bring on people who have fun, inspiring, encouraging stories to help you pivot in life and help you get up, stand up, and move forward. Today, I have a really fun, special friend for you guys. Her name is Stacy Holden, and um, she actually went to high school with my husband, and we kind of, I don't know, Stacy, did we get connected through Scott, or did we, I mean, I know we've reconnected in a different facet, but originally, right. did I meet you through Scott? You know, I don't know. Once you start <laughs> becoming friends with people on Facebook, you kind of feel like True. you know them, even though you don't know them. So I don't know. I don't know how we became friends, but nonetheless, I'm happy about it. Yeah, it's fun. I found in this whole journey of mine that this kind of new journey I'm on um, with the podcast and with health coaching and with everything the Lord's been whispering to me is that he just, it, they're divine appointments, really. I agree. Yeah. I, I He brings the people across my path and then all of a sudden we're connected and then I look back and I go, how did we meet? How did we get connected? I don't know, but it's good. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I don't find it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't find it either because it's, it's fun and it's amazing. I just to kind of sit back sometimes and go, Lord, you're just that the word I have for it is that's so fun. I love it. Yeah. So tell me, tell everybody a little bit about you. You and I are both living in the same area. We're both in Edmond, Oklahoma, but tell us about, you know, you and your family and just kind of what you do now. Tell us a little bit about you. Okay. I'm a lot like you in that area is I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, and I'm just kind of, I'm kind of open. But um, I am 45. I'm a mom of three. I've got my oldest just graduated from college. Woo, woo. Oh wow! And and I've got my middle child is a girl. Her name is Gracie. She's 18. She turned 18 a week after my son graduated college. And then I've got my 11 year old who's going into middle school. He'll be a sixth grader. Um. I've been married almost 25 years, and I've known my husband since I was four. So we grew up together, which is really, really cool. Um, my friends will tell you, starting in seventh grade, I started telling people that I was going to marry him one day. So um, I I grew up crushing on him, and his mom and my mom were really good friends. And what can I say? I'm a girl that gets what I want. Well, I don't doubt that. I don't doubt that. From what I know about you, just you and you seeing you on Facebook and seeing you, you know, on social platforms, you um, have it together. You have it together. Um, But I also love like, okay, so we sort of maybe have a non-official contest around here, around the podcasters about marriage, about who's been Uh married the longest, who's known their spouse the longest. Pretty sure you just took first place. What did I win? I don't know. I'll find something. No, I, I might I have won. a trophy no. made. <laughs> no, I won. I won the longest marriage. You did. Um, I mean, four. You knew I've, him at age four. At age four, yeah. So our parents were really good friends. They were introduced by somebody um, that they both knew. And um, growing up, like he would mow my parents' yard, and I was that creepy girl who would like That's look between the blinds funny. and kind of stare at him. Yeah. And so, but we're, you know, we're, we're about five years apart. And That's so he funny. was a little bit older. Yeah. And so, um, 
didn't really notice me until he went to college and came back and then I grew up and you know and then he asked me out and this the rest sailing, is history. Yeah, the rest is history. Yeah, so. that's kind of funny. I hear those stories from my husband because he had a lawn mowing business in high school, and so uh-huh. after I started dating him and got married and stuff, we will come across you know his old clients or people that he mowed for, and I will hear the funny stories about the same thing, like they had a daughter who just loved it when Scott showed up to mow, or you know uh-huh. or they thought, oh, we thought our daughter was gonna marry Scott, you know, just I just the the kind of the same kind of thing, the girl peeking through the blinds who was like oh he's here yeah to <laughs> yes, yeah that's I, so funny I went to Oklahoma State and so did Scott and so he was in a fraternity and I was in a sorority and so he even mowed their lawn and oh wow and I don't know if they paid him I don't know but it but before we were a thing um I we, seriously we would have girls in our sorority that would run through the house and go Quillen's mowing the yard and they would jump in cars (laughs) I'm excited this is my husband this is my husband Uh, they would jump in cars and do a drive-by because he would mow the Sigma New lawn without a shirt yeah that is so well that's the same thing yeah Mark Mark would mow without a shirt so well I didn't get to see Scott like that I got to look up at Scott because he had a locker above mine like in sixth or seventh grade so I like to tease and say he was always in my way, but yeah. probably I was in his. Yeah, because he's tall. Because you and I, like, yeah, how tall, tall are you? Uh, five four or five five, depending on a good day. Yeah. Okay, so you're taller than me. So I'm only five two, and I mean, you he's, are? I am. I'm only five two. Um, so he teases me about that, but I'm okay. I'm good with that. Um, that's right. Yeah, it takes a lot more than that to upset me. Um, but that's he's right. a good foot taller than me. Aw, well, I didn't even. I did not realize when I told you that you were five two. Oh, well. Yeah, I know. I get that sometimes. People will, like you mentioned, you you become friends with people on Facebook and you feel like you've known them or, you you know, they're your friend or you've known them forever. The, the funny thing I get is um, people will learn how tall I am or how short I am. I guess I should rephrase that. And they're like, what? I just... For some reason, the way you carry yourself and the way you talk mm-hmm. and the way you act, I thought you were taller. <laughs> I just get it so right. tickled because I'm like, really? Like you associate height with, you know, I guess what is so. It? She may be little, but she's right. here. Something. Yeah. Well, let's talk yeah. about, too, the fact, like, same thing. We're, we were, my producer and I, before we started recording, we're, we're talking to you a little bit and we're just cracking up that you're multitasking right now you are recording a podcast you are working out at the same time that's lovely I am yeah there's only so many hours in the day I love it super important part of my life and um I just you know even if I just do a little bit Mm -hmm. then I feel somewhat accomplished for the day Mm -hmm. and um so it's just part of I mean I've been doing that way I've been doing it since I was I would say 17 and then I didn't really get serious about weightlifting until maybe 10 years ago because growing up, um, you know, women didn't lift. That mm-hmm. wasn't a thing. We just mm-hmm. we just ate less and did more cardio. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older and I have a fantastic trainer and friend in my life, I've learned so much from. That's really not the way it needs to be done. Exactly. So preach, preach. The past, <laughs> yeah. So in the past 10 years, I've changed everything about what I thought I knew mm-hmm. and um you know started lifting heavy and 
Um, I do less cardio, mm-hmm. but I'm stronger than probably ever. So I know. And why is it so hard for us? Like when I started going through that transition of wrapping my mind around, I don't have to kill myself on the treadmill forever. Right. Um, it was so hard for me to let go of that thought. It was so hard for me yes. to go, okay, I'm okay with that. For some reason, our brains were just, you know, well, we were well, just. we've always. It's what we were associating, right. you know, weightlifting with, like getting bulky. Right. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, you know, there's women who prefer that, and that's great for them. That's not what I want. I just want to be lean and toned and mm-hmm. just healthy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be, you know, when I'm 60 or 70, not be able to um, get myself up if I fall mm-hmm. or, you know, pick exactly. up my grandchildren one day. Mm-hmm. So that's what it's about for me. It is. It's preventative. I tell everybody, you know, I tell my clients when I coach them, it's preventative health care. Like I'm not yes. so vain that I care about what you look like physically on the outside. It's about preventing heart disease. It's about preventing diabetes. It's about, you know, like you said, being able to your joints, taking yes. less pressure and inflammation off your joints to be able to get the most out of life. I heard just this week a statistic on TV on a commercial or something that we will most now, nowadays, because modern technology and medicines and everything, um, we will we could live half of our life over the age of 50. Wow. And if you think about wow. that, you better be healthy. You better be taking care of yourself because half of your, uh, uh, potentially, half of your life could be over the age of 50. Right. Well, and for me, you know, it goes deeper than that. Both my parents aren't alive. And so I make a very conscious effort that, you know, I lost them both when I was young and I don't want my kids to go through that. I mean, eventually they're going to have to go through that, but no one should have to go through it as young as I did. And so to me, I feel like I have to know I've done everything in my power to keep myself healthy because that's just the unselfish thing to do. Right. And I mean, that's part of why I have you on here today. So let's just go there. I know just a tiny, the tiny tip of your story and, but your story is amazing. So tell us about sort of your journey with your mama, your sweet mom. I don't know even know if it started with your sweet mama or if it was your dad first, but tell us kind of your journey about where their diagnosis, you know, took you in life. Okay. Um, well, it started obviously with my father. He passed away first. Uh, he passed away four years before my mother. Oddly enough, they were both 63. Mm-hmm. So four years apart, both died at 63. My dad, his was from unhealthy living. Mm-hmm. He grew up, um, he had a kind of a hard upbringing, did the whole boarding school thing. Always his biggest fear was to die like his dad. You know, mm-hmm. that's all I heard growing up. Mm-hmm which I think, he, I think he died at 56. I never got to meet him. Mm-hmm. And, it, and he died, um, you know, broke and heart attack and all those things that my dad said he never wanted to do. And um, growing up, we didn't, I didn't grow up wealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up just fine. You know, mm-hmm. just, I didn't, I didn't need anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't lack anything, but mm-hmm. I wasn't like the fancy kids either. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So my dad was um, in the car business. He worked late, late hours for as long as I can ever remember. He probably missed the majority of anything I ever did in school. Mm-hmm. And my mom, she ran an in-home daycare at home. And so to me, um, she missed a lot too because she was tied to being at home. She mm-hmm. had to be there for everyone else's kids. So I grew up with babies in my room. 
you know, pack and plays and oh, no sleeping in in the summers. Uh-huh. And I hated it growing up because you know, she'd put a baby in my room and that was it for me. However, mm-hmm. looking back, I'm like, man, it made me a damn good parent mm-hmm. because I learned how to take care of kids and have compassion and empathy at a young age. Mm-hmm. But um, my my dad, so he had a very high stress job. He ended up ultimately. I had to make the choice. I'm the I'm the eldest. I do have a half sister, mm-hmm. but they were kind of estranged. So I was the next to ten, and I had to make make the decision to take my dad off life support. Mm. And it was probably the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. Mm-hmm. But I knew just from knowing him that that is not how he'd want to be. Right. And so I had, I can remember asking the nurses, and mind you, his brother and sister were there, but they weren't the ones that had to make that decision. Mm-hmm. It was all on me. And so I was like, I'm not making that decision without some kind of, sign from him that 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 he's okay with that I'm like I'm not gonna kill my dad Mm -hmm. and so I remember asking the nurses like can you bring him off the morphine just enough to where I can just ask him and so they did they at they kind of brought him up just enough to ask him and I asked him I said do you you know want to take this out and he shook his head and I told him I said but you know what could happen if we take this out you it you know that that could be it and he knew that. Oh, girl, I'm telling you, even though he said he didn't want that, he fought it for hours. Mm. And having to sit there and watch him just fight off the inevitable, you know, mm-hmm. laying in a pool of own sweat because he's just trying to breathe, mm-hmm. that'll change you. I mm-hmm. think I was, let's see, 30, how old was I? I'm at, I was like 30. Mm-hmm. Someone might, you know, very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so at that point, like I knew my dad was diabetic. Um, he didn't take care of himself. Like I can remember as a child, like, you know, don't tell your mom and you can't be with an ice cream or something. Like that was mm-hmm. the biggest deal. Like, you know, don't tell your mom. And that was kind of our thing. And so all those little things, he just didn't care enough to take care of himself. Mm-hmm. And then, and so he ended up, by the way, dying. Like he said, I'm a real big believer in kind of like you, what you put out there in the universe, the energy you put out is what you attract. And he put that out in the universe. Like that's what he brought to him. I didn't, he didn't want to die alone and broke and exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. And so, um, fast forward, um, four years later, it was May of 2010. My mom and I, I'm telling you, she was, I know everyone says a mom's the best. My mom was the best. <laughs> like, just selfless mm-hmm. loving and she'd walk into a room and I'm sure you've seen her picture from when I posted but mm-hmm. she would smile and everybody would smile and everyone mm-hmm. knew her and so my main name is Werber and so people would say oh she Werberized the baby like she, that's what she did she she Werberized these babies and she's mm-hmm. raised everybody's kids and so it was May of 2010 and she started complaining of um, lower back pain and she was pretty, like, swollen. She had mm-hmm. all the classic signs um, of what we later found out was ovarian cancer. But here's how it went. In and out of doctor's offices, me taking her to emergency rooms because she was starting to have heart palpitations. Them telling her that, oh, it's just you've got a trace of urine in your blood. It's a bladder infection. And the, the thing is with um, ovarian cancer, there are certain kind of markers 
that every doctor should know. And number one being, we're Jewish. I don't know if you know that. Uh, and so um, Ashkenazi Jew, so European descent, that is one of the biggest markers for ovarian cancer, that and being African-American. It hits that, those two populations the hardest. Mm. And she had all the classic symptoms, and they just missed it. Mm. And th- so they sent her home. So fast forward now, we went from May, fast forward to November. In November, you know, I take her to the heart hospital because she's having heart palpitations. She's very swollen with now what we know as as a city, which is the fluid that you fill up from, with from cancer when your organs are failing. Mm. And um, and they say, you know what? We think it's your gallbladder. Your gallbladder needs to come out. So my husband is getting ready for his 40th. I'm throwing him a big 40th surprise party. All she wants to do is attend that. So she moves that surgery like a week just so she could attend the, the party. So the party was on a Saturday night. On Sunday, she spent the night with me because on early Monday morning, she was going to have our gallbladder removed. Mm-hmm. And take her to Mercy. They call me in, and the, all the closet or all the conference rooms are full, or whatever you want to call it, whatever they take you to discuss your loved one's issues. And I remember they took me into a broom closet. So I'm standing in a broom closet with the what? doctor. Mm-hmm, because oh everything, word. he obviously he wanted privacy. And everything's full, so he takes me in there. Now, my husband wasn't there, but my sister was. And he's telling me, and he's got these images in his hand, and he says, you know, your mom's gallbladder didn't come out. We're going to need her to have her strength. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You don't hear anything, but this is what I heard. Something, 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 adenocarcinoma. Mm. And, like, I didn't go to med school, but I pretty much know what carcinoma is. Mm -hmm. So I just remember thinking and saying to him, you know, I'm not hearing anything else that he said, but I hear carcinoma, and I'm like, are you telling me my mom had ovarian cancer? I mean, I'm a, yeah, or are you telling me my mom had cancer? And he was like, yes, I believe she does. And then he goes on to tell me that it's stage four because it's in her liver. Mm-hmm. And he shows me all of these, these pictures. And this is like, this goes in the blur. I had just had my youngest. He wasn't quite one. And I'm like, holy smokes. Oh my gosh. So I had to be, I had to go in there and tell her, oh mom, God. you, you, you have your gallbladder. They didn't take it out because this is what you have. Now, the second hardest thing I've ever had to do my entire life. So I'm telling her about this and her face, like it was like it wasn't registering. Like mm-hmm. she just sat there in disbelief. And I was like, that's it. And so one thing about me, is I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it. I don't wonder how I'm going to do things. I just do them. Right. And that's, that's all there is to it. Like, this is, okay, you got this problem, this problem, this is what we're going to do, and that's it. And then mm-hmm. I look back and I'm like, man, I don't know how I did that. Mm-hmm. Well, this was kind of one of those situations. She never went home. I moved her straight into my house. I got exactly what she needed. I kicked my oldest out of his bedroom. I had my friend who does drapes whip up some drapes to make it look like it was hers you know I hung mm-hmm. some things on the wall mm-hmm. and I spent the next 19 days taking care of my mom mm-hmm. because that's all it was from the time of diagnosis to death wow so 19 days I have three kids one under one she passes she's diagnosed November 10th 
and uh, diagnosed November 10th and dies November 28th. Wow. And so, um, you know, and, and we spent everything. We went through Thanksgiving. Went, we, went, we spent those next days just taking care of her, you know, just everything revolved around her. It was like I was, Mark had to go to work, my husband, and there were times that she had gained so much weight from the fluid that, I mean, I can remember having to call him and say, Mark, you've got to come help get my mom off the toilet. Mm-hmm. I couldn't lift her. She mm-hmm. didn't have the strength. Mm-hmm. Her legs were like brick. Mm-hmm. So after that, uh, um, she passed away at the hospital, um, and we were all there. My daughter still upset with me because I felt like she was too young to handle it, so I didn't let her in the room. She's still very upset with me about that. That's something I'm going to have to live with. But, you know, we just we do the best we can. Right. But before she passed away, the oncologist told us about this gene that we had never heard of. This was all new to us, and it's called the BRCA gene mm-hmm. or, or BRCA. Mm-hmm. A lot of people refer to it as the Angelina Jolie gene. Right. And um, they asked us, you know, you want to be tested? And we're like, sure, of course we do. Whatever you think best. So her test didn't come back till after she was passed, but she was positive. And we we didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. meant that my sister and I mm-hmm. had a 50-50 chance of having that same gene. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they said, we need to be tested. You know, we've, we've both had our children. Um, you were old enough to make those decisions. To me, it's like, you know, you if you've got this information in front of you, what are you going to do with it? Right. So if you're not going to do anything with it, don't don't bother testing because now you're just stressing yourself out. So um, we took the test. I'll never forget the phone call. I was I was shopping. I was kind of walking around a store here in Edmond, and the phone rang and they called to tell me that my test was positive. Oh wow! And uh, I just of course start bawling because mm-hmm. now that means I have an 87 percent chance of breast cancer, which by the way I lost my grandma to at 38. And a 50% chance of ovarian. And now I've lost my mom to that at 63. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I spent the next, you know, month, few months going. So the way that works is until you decide to remove your body part, you spend six months first um, ultrasound, six months MRI, six months ultrasound, mm-hmm. six months MRI. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point where I, it was giving me anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not going to be... When mm-hmm. I mean, it's not gonna be if mm-hmm. they tell me that Stacey, I'm so sorry, you've got this, this, or this, mm-hmm. or all. I mean, it's gonna be when, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Right. And so I opted to have a total hysterectomy first, and that just felt easier. Um, and that's you know, being a female, you know, mm-hmm. you, no one can see what's inside of you, and so that felt like the easier decision, right? I assure you, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, threw me into instant menopause in less than 24 hours. Oh, so before wow. I left the hospital, I was in instant menopause and the hot flashes and just everything that goes along with that, which most people have a gradual um, time with. Mine was instant. And then um, that lowers your risk somewhat, even for breast cancer. But mm-hmm. then I was still having to do the test. And I was also doing biopsies. I was doing all these things that were just scary. And again, I have to know I've done everything I can to be around for my kids. So I opted to have a double mastectomy. Wow. Um, and so I've now had the total hysterectomy, double mastectomy. 
and um, the instant menopause that that's another reason for my um, working out is because then you know you, you, I've gained I gained like thirty pounds like at the seven month mark it was instant is one of those things where all your hormones kind of are out of your body mm-hmm. and here you are mm-hmm. so um, I've managed I found a way to manage that and, and part of that is you know going to the gym and exercising and eating clean and I get some hormone treatments now um, because you, I couldn't do that before having those body parts and so now I can kind of manage them not to the degree that somebody else could mm-hmm. because of the, of the risk but um, that's it and so I'm very open about it I don't hide it because I feel like you know nobody told me I didn't know anything about it and I feel like if I can help one person you know be an advocate for yourself because nobody's going to do that for you my mom I feel like she'd want that like that was right. her she was selfless mm-hmm. and and she would have given anything so for me oh, try not to cry sorry <laughs> for me I feel like um I I have to give that back to her like she died so we can have the knowledge right to take our lives and, and go on right. so right you know I do well knowledge is power Right. So now you have that knowledge, you have a certain right. element of power. Right. And you might as right. well use so that power. Right. So that's my thing. It's like if you're, you know, when you're given a piece of information, mm-hmm. it's what you do with it. If you're not going to do anything with mm-hmm. it, then, you know, why go through the trouble of testing mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever the situation is, you've got to, you know, make your decision. You've got to live with your decision. You've got to be strong in your beliefs. And that's just what it is. And right. so... I love that. So, you know, I'm always looking for the pivotal point. (laughs) And I mean, I guess I could say your huge pivot was, well, you had multiple pivots in that whole story, but your huge pivot with yourself was having that information. So now you have it. And that point where you go, okay, I'm going to stay down and stay where I am and let anxiety, fear, depression, all these things overtake me, or I'm going to pivot and I'm going to go this direction with it. And this is going to be my platform. This is going to be where I leave, live, breathe, walk from. Um, and I love right. that because, you know, there's people out there that they don't even want to know that information. They're scared to yeah. even find out if they have that gene. They're scared to even walk that direction. So I love that you are um, an advocate for early detection and an advocate for all around health and how to walk through that. I mean, now you have the firsthand experience that you could could literally speak into and encourage and advise someone in every part of that journey. Yeah, thank you. I, I mean, like I said, I feel like, you know, I would hate to think my mom died for, for you know, mm-hmm. no reason. Like, mm-hmm. what do you do with that information? Or mm-hmm. what do you do with, like, like you said, like you're handed a certain amount of cards. How do you play your cards? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to spend my life scared and miserable and mean or resentful. I mean, that's mm-hmm. not living. Mm-hmm. So I control what I can control and that, and that's it. Anything else is, you know, up to God. And so I just try to be who I am and, you know, live my day, um, you know, doing what I can and trying to be, who I am and that's it. 
I love that. And you know, like if someone's listening out there, what would you tell them? So let's say they have a history in their family of um, ovarian or breast cancer. What would you tell them is the first step? If they hear this and they go, you know, I should probably take a little more action. What, what would you tell them? Well, I would find out it's a very simple blood test. I would, I would probably start there with the test um, Mm -hmm. to see if they have the gene because then, you know, once you have the gene, that's going to increase your chances. Mm -hmm. I do another simple blood test just kind of routinely Mm -hmm. that some doctors will tell you that they don't, they don't like it because they get false positives, but Mm -hmm. I'd rather get a false positive and then retest, Mm um, you know, just, um, just out of being careful, but that's called a, um, CA 125 and it's a tumor marker for ovarian cancer and it's just another simple blood test i do that at least once a year and it just it just keeps my levels in check um so in order to do that you've got to find a geneticist Mm -hmm. you've got to find um someone who 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 does that there's a lot of um there's a lot of uh, support groups on facebook you know which i gotta tell you though sometimes those are scary right (laughs) you know it's kind of like having a complaint box Right. People are only going to put complaints in. They're never going to put you know, the positives in there. Right. So some of those support groups are a little bit scary. Right. That's um, great advice. So I would, yeah, I would just, you know, I'd caution on those. Everybody and every body is different. Mm-hmm. And so what you have may not work for somebody else or vice versa. Um, but I, the biggest thing for me is being an advocate for yourself because I'll tell you what, I I think I know my body better than any one of my friends. I know if I'm holding water. I know, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I can tell how different food makes my body fluctuate. Mm-hmm. I know absolutely areas. what you're talking about. I mean, as a health coach, yes. that's what I'm trying to teach people. When you eat something yes. and, it, and you feel differently after that, you know, write that down. That's not yes. a weird coincidence. Right, and so I think just being in touch with your physical self and knowing like, you know what? I'm having this pain. I'm having this blow or whatever mm-hmm. it is, something that's not normal. Mm-hmm. I think it's huge because mm-hmm. those doctors, they only can go off of what you tell them. Mm-hmm. And even then you may have to push for tests. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it is, I've, I've asked for tests before. Like, you know what? It's been a year. Will you please test, you know, my, CA 125 or whatever. Mm-hmm. You just have to advocate for yourself um, because it, that's what it, that's what I learned the most. Right. Watching my mom, you know, is is she had all the classic symptoms and they still didn't even get it right. A matter of fact, the um, oncologist, the OB oncologist, she's now retired, but she was one of the best in the country. Was at OU. She had me come and speak to a group of up-and-coming new doctors at OU. Oh, that's great. Just on that alone, because mm-hmm. these doctors get in a hurry. And, and I was saying, you know what? We're not a number. Mm-hmm. We're somebody's sister, mother, grandmother, friend, aunt. I mean, they're humans. These are people. And you've got to start taking the time to listen to them. So if you don't feel like your doctor or primary care or whoever it is is listening to you, then go find another. Mm-hmm. That's great advice as well. I love, I love everything that you've thrown out there. I mean, and it just helps people in lots of ways. One, 
it's helping people learn how to take the information they've been given and then they get the choice. Like you said, you can't control what's happening to you, but you can control your choice after that. And so um, I love that that's inspiring people to do the same. And and it's giving people a direction of, okay, now where do I take the first step? So I, I love that, that that you've given that too. So this has been great. I could literally have you back and we could talk about all the little facets in there that we sort of skipped over, like the oh, anxiety and the fear and the how you dealt with that and how you deal with the mind game. Because, you know, I'm kind of, a, I love the mindset. I love getting into talking yeah. about the brain and the way people let their mind either benefit them or not. <laughs> and right. so we're going to have to have you come back on sometime and we'll, we'll address all those, those good convos. I love that. Yeah, well, I'm so glad that you jumped on today in the middle of your workout. You're multitasking. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, it was great. So thanks for tuning in, guys. And you know what? Just listen for Stacy next time we have her on and we'll we'll get a little deeper.